0: Good morning, everyone. So before I was a pastor, I was a high school teacher. I don't know if you know how high schools are cleaned, but the way they do it is during the summer, the custodial staff pulls every desk, chair, file cabinet out of every room and piles it up in the hallway. And then they deep clean the room and then they put it all back. Now, as you might imagine, uh, it doesn't go back the way that it came out. And sometimes it doesn't quite go back into the same room because it was out in the hallway so one of the reasons reason teachers show up early is so they can put their room back together now i came back every august to my room already put back exactly how i left it and one of my colleagues she came in one time and saw me already working on lesson plan she said how is your room already put back together i said mine comes back this way she said how do you do that i said well i i drew a map of my classroom and I photocopied it and I taped it to every piece of furniture. Then I went around with a highlighter and marked on each piece of furniture that this one goes here and that one goes there. So as they're carrying it in, they can see not only room, what room it goes in, but which part of the room it goes in. She kind of smirked and said, you shouldn't have to do that. I said, why not? It saves me days. She said, that's the custodian's job. I said, no, you can't expect someone to know where dozens of pieces of furniture go, spread out over hundreds of rooms. And She said, that's their job. Well, okay. Later, we were having lunch that year, and I said, uh, I had put a work order in for a broken table, and they came down and fixed it the next day. She immediately flew off the handle. She said, they did your work order the next day. I have work orders that have been in for over a month and they haven't shown up. I slowly started to figure out that this gal thought that we worked in a hierarchy where teachers were kind of up here and custodians were down here. And she acted like it and she treated people like it. And I think they could pick up on it and I think, Her work orders didn't get done as fast because of that attitude. Whereas I thought, and I still think, and I still think I'm right, that we're all part of one team. Administrators, teachers, custodians, lunch workers, transportation folks, we're all part of one team with one mission to educate kids. There's no hierarchy where someone's better than someone else. Where would we all be without all the rest of everyone else? Now I can tell these kinds of stories to this group and uh, it's not ruffling any feathers. These ideas are not controversial at all. This stuff is as American as apple pie. But if you travel the world, you'll find it's not this way everywhere you go. I watched a British Lord about 10 or 15 years ago on TV and he was griping about the Americanization of the world. He said, there was a time when I could just be an Earl, he said, but now I have to earn my keep. I have to uh, be uh, feeding starving children or removing landmines from former war zones. He said, "And it's all because of this American ideal that spread around the world. Now he was mad about it, but you and I are hearing the story right now thinking, what? You're darn right. You have to earn your keep. Nobody gets to sit around and say, oh, because my great, 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 great grandfather was an Earl, then I get to be an Earl and just be rich and have fun all the time. Oh, no, you've got to contribute something to the world. That's a very American idea, which we got from Christianity. So I'm really excited for this morning because a lot of times Dan, Marta, Adam, I, others, Taylor, we have to stand up here and we have to teach things and say, this is going to be very hard for American culture to adopt, but this is the way of Christ. Today is not one of those days. If you want to call America a Christian nation, the most Christian thing about us is this, that we got this idea and we internalized this idea that all men and women are created equal. There is no hierarchy or elitism in the kingdom of God. And therefore, In our nation, and it all comes from words like this from Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 9, verse 33. After they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, What were you discussing out on the road? But they didn't answer because they'd been arguing about which of them was the greatest. He sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him and said, Whoever wants to be first must take last place be the servant of everyone else. I'll never forget when my dad started wearing jeans and t-shirts to church. Um, I'm not going to get this story just right because it happened when I was 12, but it was something like this. He had gone to some sort of church meeting or deacon meeting and a passage like this had been discussed and someone in our church had said, well, we would never look down on someone or think that we were better than someone for any reason. And my dad said, not even for economic reasons? They said, no, certainly not. He said, not even if they came to church dressed real sloppy because that's all they could afford? They said, absolutely not. Well, my dad doubted that this was true. And so he came home and announced that our whole family would be dressing casual from now on, which uh, is we do it in Lakeland, but is not something you did in the church I grew up in. It was a uh, uh, shirts, ties, dresses sort of place but he said, we're all gonna wear our jeans and t-shirts. Now, my stepmom was not having it. She kept doing the dress, but my brother and I, we grabbed onto this enthusiastically because we hated putting those clothes on. In fact, I kicked it up a notch by wearing my Grim Reaper t-shirt to church as often as I could, skeletal guy with a big weapon. Uh, I'm sure that raised a lot of eyebrows. And in we went, we walked around and we worshiped and it was kind of like my dad was daring somebody to raise an eyebrow, daring someone to say something or give us a dirty look. I don't remember if it ever happened or not. Now, he was ahead of his time because these days, one of the ugliest things that you can say about a church is that they show favoritism or that they think they're better than someone else, especially if it's a pastor. I had a friend who visited another church and uh, it was in the, she was at a youth sports event being held in the church fellowship hall, but there there weren't enough chairs out for all the parents to sit and watch their kids. At that moment, a guy walks through the fellowship hall with a ring of keys. And my friend said, oh, excuse me, sir, could you open this closet so that we could get enough chairs to to watch the game? This guy spins around and says, I'm a pastor, not a custodian, you know. To which she said, well, I'm a pastor too. But if you'll open this closet, I'll be happy to get the chairs out for everyone myself. Oh, that's a big fail in our culture. So again, these stories aren't controversial. I'm telling them to you, they're not ruffling any feathers because we have, for the most part, internalized this in our culture. Clearly not everyone and not all of us all the time. But this is something that's, shouldn't be hard for us to accept from Jesus. What may be harder is for us to see it in ourselves. Verse 36. Then Jesus put a little child among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my father who sent me. So why does Jesus put a child out among them? It's because a child can't offer you anything. When you accept the child, they're not going to give you a tip. When you accept the child, they're not going to become a valued customer. When you accept the child, they're not going to raise your status or introduce you to the right people. When you accept the child, you are doing it out of pure humility because you're not going to get anything for it. Jesus says we should accept everyone in this way. And when we do, he says, you're accepting me. And when you accept Jesus, you're accepting God the Father, he says. There's no place in the kingdom of God for elitism or arrogance. Look at all the people of scripture that God loves to use. He uses shepherds. He uses fishermen. He uses peasants. Uh, Jesus himself came as a carpenter, probably some sort of furniture maker. God does this to show us that he doesn't show partiality or favoritism. He doesn't respect elitism or arrogance. So if we really want to follow Jesus today, we're going to have to be aware, beware of a few thoughts that may be inside of us and then some actions that we could take toward others. So if you really want to follow Christ Jesus and accept God into your life, beware of thoughts like, I shouldn't have to do that. Beware of thoughts like, do you know who I am? Do you know who you're talking to right now? Beware of thoughts like, don't we have someone else to do this? Because I don't do that sort of thing. When you feel those well up inside you, careful, careful, you're moving away from the good news of Jesus Christ. And then also be aware of how we treat others. My father-in-law told me a story about uh, a Sears down in south, southern Missouri. And a, a guy walked in, a big guy, and I'm pretty sure he's just wearing denim overalls. I, he might have had shoes. I don't remember that part of the story, but I do remember he had no shirt, just the denim overalls. And he's walking around in the Sears appliances. He's standing over by the refrigerators, looking around. Of course, this guy's come straight out of the hills. The sales staff are avoiding him like the plague. He walks over among the dishwashers. He gets over by the sinks and the water heaters. At that moment, uh, a cashier kid comes walking through. He just runs a register, but he says, Sir, can I help you find something? And the guy says, Yeah, son, you can help me find your store manager right now. Ooh! So the cashier runs off, gets the store manager. Store manager comes, says, can I help you, sir? And the guy says, yeah, I just finished building me my own house with my own two hands. And then he stuck one of those chunky hands into his pocket and he pulled out a gigantic wad of cash. And he said, I intend to put in that house, that top of the line refrigerator, and I want this kid to get all the commission for it because he's the only one that had the time of day for me. And I also want to put this top-of-the-line dishwasher in, this one here, all the way to the right. And he gets the commission for it. And I'm going to need a top-of-the-line washer and dryer, sink, water heater. He went through every department of that Sears store and bought the most expensive thing they had for his house. And this kid who normally worked for minimum wage made a really huge commission that day because he didn't show partiality and he accepted someone for what they were. Offer them what they needed. Kingdom of God's a little bit like this story. To accept everyone is to accept Christ and to accept God as Father. So let's have a brief word about acceptance because this word gets thrown around uh, not always appropriately. Acceptance means to say no matter who you are, no matter what you've done or where you come from. You are worthy of God's love, and therefore you are worthy of my love. No matter what has come before God loves you, and therefore I love you. Acceptance is not saying, now everything you're doing or have done is fine, and you ought to go on doing it. God's acceptance isn't like that. When you let God into your life, he immediately begins shaping and molding and changing things so that you can be saved, right? From, from all that you were and all that was in your life. There are things that God doesn't approve of about all of us, but that doesn't mean He doesn't love us. God's acceptance doesn't wait for His approval. That's why He's so different than most people we know. God's acceptance does not wait for God's approval. In fact, it's because God accepts us and loves us that we often then have the strength and the excitement to say, okay, okay, Pentecost, Holy Spirit, I'm ready. Come and begin to change my life into what you want it to be. What else can I do since you love me so freely? So a lot of times people in our world today, when they say accept me, what they really mean is approve of me, celebrate me. That's a, that's a misunderstanding. And if a church were to do that, then you kind of push the work of the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ right out. We give the acceptance, we give the love. And that gives people the strength and the comfort and the safety they need to say, you know what? I am powerless and my life has become unmanageable. And I believe that God can restore me to sanity. And I am willing to make a decision to turn my life and my will over to the care of God. So let us be accepting as Jesus was accepting. It's the only way people find what they need to reach out to him. I want to read you a story. I think this story comes from the late 60s. His name is Bill. He has wild hair, wears a t-shirt with holes in it, Jeans and no shoes. This was literally his wardrobe for his entire four years of college. He's brilliant, kind of esoteric, and very, very bright. He became a Christian while attending college. Across the street from the campus is a well-dressed, very conservative church. They want to develop a ministry to the students, but they're not sure how to go about it. One day, Bill decides to go there. He walks in with no shoes jeans his t-shirt and wild hair the service has already started and so bill starts down the aisle looking for a seat the church is completely packed and he can't find a seat by now people are looking a bit uncomfortable but nobody says anything bill gets closer and closer to the pulpit and when he realizes there are no seats he just squats down right on the carpet Although perfectly acceptable behavior at a college fellowship, trust me, this had never happened in this church before. By now, people are really uptight and the tension in the air is thick. About this time, the minister realizes that from way at the back of the church, a deacon is slowly making his way toward Bill. Now the deacon is in his 80s. He has silver gray hair, a three-piece suit, a pocket watch, a godly man very elegant, very dignified, very courtly. He walks with a cane, and as he starts walking toward the boy, everyone is saying to themselves, you can't blame him for what he's going to do. How can you expect a man of his age and his background to understand some college kid on the floor? It takes a long time for the man to reach the boy. The church is utterly silent, except for the clicking of the man's cane. All eyes are focused on him. You can't even hear anyone breathing. The people are thinking the minister can't even preach the sermon until the deacon does what he has to do. And now they see this elderly man drop his cane on the floor. With great difficulty, he lowers himself and sits down next to Bill and worships with him so he won't be alone. Everyone chokes up with emotion. When the minister gains control, he says, What I'm about to preach, you'll never remember. What you've just seen, you'll never forget. This week, as you go out into your lives, into our city, it's going to be filled with people who need this kind of acceptance. They need an invitation from you into something. They need an invitation from you to join a community of authentic followers of Jesus Christ to serve in a cause that matters, to be involved in a church that does important God-sized work in the world. Now, if you were all here this morning, I was going to pass out to all of you a piece of chalk and ask you to go out front onto the church sidewalk and scrawl the initials of someone that needs your acceptance, your love, your invitation to community this week. I was going to ask you to pray that maybe even before the rain has a chance to wash those initials off the walk, that they might cross over that spot and enter into the house of God because you invited them. But we're not back yet. So I wonder, would you do this at home? If you have a piece of sidewalk chalk or maybe you just have one of those white rocks laying somewhere in your yard that will scratch on pavement. Scrawl the initials of someone that you could be praying for, that you could be inviting, that you could be welcoming into our community. Would you do that before the day is over? In fact, if you want to put this message on pause right now and do that and come back and finish together, that'd be just great. Now, this attitude of Christ, the last shall be first, a servant of all, it doesn't just make us a constant outflow of love and acceptance. We also receive from God because of it. So my first year of teaching, I was invited to an after-school teacher's meeting uh, about a student who was having some trouble. So the student was there, her parents were there, the principal was there, a district representative, the rest of the teachers. And as soon as we started the meeting, this girl stood up threw her chair across the room and started shrieking at us. She was in my class, but I'd never seen anything like this. She screeched blistering obscenities at the principal and her parents. I mean, stuff that made the paint peel off the wall. This was my first year of teaching. I'd never seen anything like this. And truthfully, I never saw anything like it after this either. And her tirade lasted for some 20 minutes. Finally, I was so shaken up and disturbed. I raised my hand and I asked the principal, I think I brought to this meeting the info that you needed. Can I be excused from this? And he looked at me so jealous and said, yeah, Mr. Leahy, be excused. I walked down the hall shaken. And I got back to my classroom and uh, Tony was in the room mopping the floor. Tony was the custodian who cleaned my room. We often talked after school. And she took one look at me and said, Mr. Leahy, what is wrong with you? She's a little Mexican lady. And when I mean little, I mean if she was 4'11", she was wearing heels. And I, I told her what had happened and how upsetting it was. And she leaned on her mop and she looked up. She said, Mr. Leahy, you know better than to despair. You know what the word says. When you see these kids, they're all crazy. When you see this world full of the drugs and the killing, these are just birth pains of God's new creation. When you hear of plagues in far off lands and wars and rumors of wars, look up. Your salvation draws nigh. And she went back to mopping the floor. I've never forgotten what she said. She ministered to me. I look around at the world right now, a pandemic and everything else that's going on. And I remember, look up. Your salvation draws nigh. The worse it is, the closer it's getting. You see, when you put yourself above people, when you cut yourself off from people, you cut yourself off from people that God uses to minister to you. We're not saviors going out to save the world. That's what Jesus did. We're just a custodian telling a teacher the good news. As Pastor Dan says, we're just one beggar telling another beggar where to find the bread. We're just saying, friend, come to Jesus. He's got the bread of life you're looking for. Let us pray. Father, on this Pentecost Sunday, I pray your Holy Spirit would lay on every heart and mind a face and a name. Assure us, Lord, that you are already at work in their life. If we will just give a witness, if we will just give an invitation, we will be a part of your plan. Strengthen us this morning. Help us to be humble as Christ was humble and to receive salvation. It is in the name of Christ Jesus we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.